1: All right, as you can see, he's back with me this week. He's fresh as a daisy, ready to go. He's rocking the Blue Jays jersey. There we go. The Toronto Blue Jays absolutely on fire. Hey, 22 runs in one game. It looked like a football game, 22 to 7. No, ladies and gentlemen, you did not tune into the wrong podcast. But when a Toronto sports team... Canada's team in the MLB is doing well you have to talk about it how about them Blue Jays Josh absolutely rolling the bats are going Springer wasn't even in the lineup the pitching's starting to come together Manoa looks like he's dealing tonight what do you think about the Toronto Blue Jays oh and by the way in the wild card right now
2: yeah man like that uh they had a four game series against the Orioles and the after the Friday one I was a little bit scared I'm like damn they just swept the Yankees. In New York. First time in a while they've done that. They look really good. You had you had Ryu buying the buying the boys' Korean fried chicken. I don't know if you saw that story. <laughs> that was but hilariously yeah, awesome. Uh, that's great. And then you know they go in, uh go in and play the Orioles and they lose the first game. You have the Orioles manager just throwing chirps at uh, what know, about uh that at the body Jays. check along the line. Yeah, yeah, the body. It, it was a weird Friday game, and then you know what? And then but even on the Saturday game, the Jays they had to come back and win that game. They just absolutely, the bats awoken in the, you know, the sixth inning of the second game. And from there, they just did not look back. I think they put up like 11 runs, 11 runs, then 22 runs. I mean, I thought there was a mistake on my uh, on my score app because I'm looking through the scores. and I, I see the Jays 22 to seven. I'm like, well, no, the NFL is starts, you know, I know the NFL starts today, but you know the Jays aren't an NFL team, but no, the the Blue Jays outscored, I believe, twelve NFL teams. Yeah,
1: that was hilarious to see that post. Yeah.
2: So, um, yeah, it, it's crazy. I mean, I, I'm sure the Packers would have liked to put up more than three points, but you, you know that when you put up a football score like that, especially in a baseball game, and you're making a wild card push, just absolutely phenomenal. When the Jays are going, it just brings the whole not just the city, but the country together. And Baseball is one of those sports where you can kind of fade in and out. Like when they were nine and a half back, I'm like, okay, yeah, whatever. Now I'm I'm done with this team. Well, not done, but I just, you know, I don't need to watch it. I don't need to watch every game, every pitch. I'll watch the, you know, the Sunday afternoon, the Saturday night, the occasional weekday game. But now I got to watch it. I got the game on right now in the background. I got to watch every pitch. I got to watch every hit. I got to see what Charlie Montoya does to screw up the potential wins. So I, I'm happy. The Jays are doing good. They're a young team. Just ride it. Just keep going. Even if they don't make it at this point, at least they're pushing now. Like they're, they're not out of it until the end of the season. I think Seattle's too far back to make this that close for them. So it's between the Jays, the Sox and the Yankees. It's going to be really interesting to see how they finish this off. It's an absolutely phenomenal weekend by the Jays. And I, I'm including the Yankee series in that too, because to sweep the Yankees, that that that's amazing.
1: To sweep the Yankees is beautiful. You look at the Toronto Blue Jays and what they're able to accomplish. And here's the thing. They're accomplishing this without George Springer, who's back, I do believe, tonight, but he's not 100%. So this gives them a chance to allow him to heal up a little bit. I think give him some games off here and there. But you look at the Toronto Blue Jays and you think, this, this right here is what excitement is around this team. And I remember back when we were building the house that I'm in right now in 2015, listening to everybody go wild for Jose Batista, Edwin Encarnacion, the paradigm. arm, everybody was into it. It's back again. And here's a little fun fact. The Blue Jays are 30 and 15 since introducing the home run jacket. There you go. So I think the jacket has a little bit to do with what's going on with the Toronto magic. Absolutely excited for what's happening with this squad. The one thing that I do not want people to lose sight of is that they are young. And if this does unravel, Do not start booing and hating on this team because you were so excited and now it's taken (laughs) away. This team may take a couple steps back and may not get the wild card, but they're showing everybody what they can be. And here's how impactful they are right now. During the Boston Red Sox broadcast, they were talking about the Blue Jays and saying this is a team that no one wants to face if they get into the postseason because of how their pitching is and how potent their offense is. And that is insane to hear them talk that glowingly about the Blue Jays, a team that really American teams don't really talk about very much outside of that they're playing them. So that was during a broadcast during a different game, and they're talking about the Blue Jays and how deadly they are. So this, enjoy it, folks. Breathe it in. Enjoy it. Take it for what it is. It's like when the Leafs got in the playoffs off Connor Brown. Just enjoy it. Just
2: enjoy it. The Blue Jays are so good. They had me watching a Boston-Chicago game on Sunday that's how good the jays are and when chicago walked off boston in the bottom of the ninth i was like oh biggest white Sox fan right here let's go i didn't even know who was up to bat because they both had socks on it but i'm like you know what let's go jays all the way push it tampa we're coming for you
1: and ta- the tampa's down to nothing right now there you
2: go there you go the only
1: bad news we got today is the yankees did end up winning in extra innings So, hopefully, the Toronto Blue Jays can keep pushing. They were down 5 2 at one point, came back tighter up. Extra innings. It was final. It's all right. The Blue Jays can keep it rolling tonight against the Tampa Bay Rays, the best team in baseball. Odds on favorite to win it. So, if Blue Jays can do a little bit of with the Brooms, that kind of
2: team, just hit the ball. Let's get it done. Just hit the ball.
1: Speaking of getting it done, I'm going to throw a hot take out here. Obviously, uh, for the city of Toronto, we're loving the Blue Jays, but the Maple Leafs have hit the ice. They started Dev Camp this week, but before we talk about Dev Camp and a few things that we want to talk about there, I want to throw this one out to you. Back in 2013, there was a goaltender with a huge smile on his face. Everybody loved him. The city took him in. He was one of those guys that you just rallied behind, got the Leafs to the playoffs, had a heartbreaking Game 7 loss. Now... They went out that offseason and picked up another goaltender, and it really messed with the chemistry, really messed with that guy that was smiling so much, and it didn't work out too well. Fast forward. We have another goaltender that's very happy, very jovial. Everybody loves him. Big smiles on his face. And the Leafs, again, lose in devastating fashion in Game 7, and now go out and get another goaltender. So for me, I'm wondering if history is going to repeat itself with Jack Campbell and Petter Merazic like it did with James Reimer and Jonathan Bernier. You have a guy that carried the load for you, put everything out there that he possibly could, and how did the Leafs repay James Reimer? They went and got another goaltender saying, well, maybe we don't trust what's there. So how did the Leafs repay Jack Campbell? He went out and got Petter Merazic. Again, maybe not believing in the magic that was there, or maybe just wanting to have some insurance. We talked about how good it is to have a 1A, 1B, But then I thought about this, and I was like, wait a minute. This happened before, and it didn't work out too well. So I'm wondering this time, does history repeat itself and things fall apart, or is this the good version of the story where two goaltenders can work cohesively and things move forward?
2: What do you think, Josh? Um, I don't think they have an intention to run a 1A, 1B tandem here because you don't bring in a guy like Peter Mrazek to be your starter when you have Jack Campbell who just had – one of the best seasons of a Leafs goaltender ever. Sure, it was a shortened season. Sure, he played, what, like 22 games? But look at his underlying stats. Look at his averages. But he was hot all season. He had a phenomenal playoff run. Um, he deserved better in the playoffs, especially w- w- with the type of numbers he was putting up. Um, Mrazek is going to be a solid – like, he's a little bit higher than a backup, but he's not your starter. And I, I wouldn't call him a 1B, but he's your – and he's not quite a safety blanket like he kind of falls in between right like he's going to start games he's going to go on runs where maybe he plays three in a row because Campbell's not feeling it Um, but Campbell is your go-to guy he's going to be in the net opening night barring injury which hopefully doesn't happen he's going to be the guy who is starting game one for you uh, when you when and if you make the playoffs but you know uh, Mrazik's going to be there too so it's going to be it's going to be a good battle I don't think though it's going to have the same type of feeling as we had with Bernie and Reimer that was kind of that was kind of a weird situation and it was a little bit different because Reimer got that team to the playoffs kind of single-handedly and then they brought in a guy hang on let me finish and then they brought in a guy who was statistically better than him and was poised to do better things in the future. Sure, it may not have turned out. They both kind of turned out to be 1B goaltenders anyway. Um, But you take a look at Jack Campbell and uh, Peter Mrazic it's you know they've got kind of two different career trajectories Campbell's on his way up Mrazik's kind of stuck where he is he's that guy who you know he's on the team he can give you some good starts he runs hot he runs cold Campbell he's he's looking to be like a number one goaltender so I'm not too concerned about the whole power struggle in the crease and the the uh the whole situation where they may be button heads and shattering confidences because I also think Campbell has the personality where he'll just take it as it is and accept the, the role he's been given. So if, if they tell him, look, Mrazek's going to run with this for the next 10 games, you're just got to sit on the bench and, you know, track the icings or whatever they do on that clipboard, then that's your job. Um, I'm not too concerned about it, but I, I, I do feel better with the whole, with, with Mrazek being behind him than like an actual backup. Like say they brought in, say they brought in Reimer. I'm like, ah, I don't know if Reimer can, you know, carry this team for 10 games. I, I feel like, I feel like Mrazek could do that. Um, yeah, we'll see where it goes. But the thing with this Leafs team is, it's not going to live or die on their goaltending. It's going to live. Uh, it's going to live on their offense. So we'll see what we'll see what happens with the goaltending. We we got to play some games first.
1: No, definitely. Well, we will see what happens. But to me, I just seen it, and I was like, mm, this has an undertone of something we've seen in the city before. And you know what? A good. Indicator of what's going to happen is you look at what the past is and it could set your future up. So we shall see. Well, let's talk about Dev Camp right quick. Uh, We do have Dennis Bernstein swinging by from the fourth period, SiriusXM. He's got a laundry list of things he's involved with, obviously covers the LA Kings and knows Jack Campbell quite well. He actually is where I got a lot of my information from on Jack about being a starter before this all came to fruition. But let's talk about Dev Camp or Haley Wickenheiser's lab, as they're calling it um for everyone nick robertson stood out um you talked about Mikhail abramov before we came on uh, another guy is uh I believe what's his name there why can't i believe uh i lost his name already what's his name there buddy you know what i'm talking about steves alex yeah. steves another uh, diamond in the rough for the toronto maple leafs um and a couple of players that she had pretty blunt honest assessments of including nick robertson for you, what are your takeaways from this Dev Camp, and what Haley Wickenheiser has been able to put out there for everyone to kind of chew on?
2: Okay, so I got a hot take on Dev Camp. People can't read too far into this. They're saying like, "Oh, Alex Steves, he's definitely making the NHL in the next two to three years because he scored four goals in a game at Dev Camp." You know, who scored four games, uh, four goals in a Dev Camp for junior team? Me. You know, who never played a game of junior? Me. So, you know, maybe don't, maybe don't read too much into a development camp scrimmage. Um, But the things we have seen were pretty positive. Let's keep the positive vibes going. You know, Steve looked good. His shots, you know, from the highlights that were posted on Twitter, because the games weren't aired or anything, he looked good with Robertson. Um, but Robertson is another level player at this dev camp. He was given the role of being a leader i i liked what i saw from everybody um but again this development camp they're used to kind of show these young guys this is what it's going to take to be in the nhl this is what we expect of you these are your coaches this is what you're learning this is what our practices look like these are the other guys you're going to be developing with so anything taken away from this too seriously could be something that you know kind of creates a false narrative around these guys um like, let's look at SDA, for example. He didn't do very well in camp. Um, you know, he he did say after Saturday scrimmage that he looked pretty bad. But, you know, he did pick it up a little bit more. He's, you know, he's five foot ten. He did put on a little bit of weight over the summer. But 75 points in 55 games in, with the OHL uh, in 2019-2020. And then he has a bad depth camp. And suddenly people are like, oh, this guy's a bust. Like, come on. Get real here.
1: So, well, it, I mean, you, you know, you're it looks like st- this. Yeah, it's stories know, right. like that, right? So I see what you're saying about these players, and obviously, Def Camp—you can't read too much into it. But you want to see guys that are prospects taking strides, and this is where you get to see them take those first strides against their peers. And obviously, like you said, Nick Robertson cut above the rest. From what I heard, though, for Steve's, he looked like a, you know a man playing against boys out there. Him and Nick Robertson were just tearing it up, and the two of them together had huge chemistry. Yeah, I believe uh, Steve scored four goals yesterday. Robertson set most of those up. Um, So, you know, the chemistry was there. They know each other off the ice, but didn't get to play together very much uh, or at all. And now they've gotten the opportunity doing pretty well together. So I want to see what happens during the traverse tournament and what goes on with these young guys and see from there. Um, For me, I like the way Haley Wickenheiser isn't sugarcoating anything. Letting these guys also feel what it's like to kind of be grilled in the media as well, getting the whole experience. Talking about STA, saying he wasn't at his best. He's a player who needs to improve. He didn't do this. He shied away from physical contact, et cetera, et cetera. You know, she was very detailed and very blunt in her assessment. Same thing with Nick Robertson. He dialed up, turn down the intensity, do this, do that. You know, and that's all said to the media. Right? So it's all things that the media are gonna chew on and then ask the player about. So it's the full. Thing It's not just the on-ice thing that they're working on. I feel like they're also getting them ready for the grind that is the Toronto Maple Leafs in Toronto. When your play is not good, when you're not up to snuff or you're doing too much or you're doing too little or even the good and the bad and the ugly, you need to be able to answer to it all. And I think Haley Wickenheiser put that out there. And I love that. I love the way that she's bringing these guys along and I love the way the camp was run. Now I want to see what happens at the Traverse tournament. But here's the other thing. I love what I'm seeing around the team. I don't know if you've seen these ones, but all the veteran players are watching the dev camp guys mm-hmm. from the dasher boards and watching what they're doing and just standing around the glass and, and they're all taking it in and enjoying it. And then we get a little bit of a, a fun note. Josh Ho sang rotting shotgun to John Tavares, setting him up. And what did I just say in my little video? I don't know if you guys watch TikTok or not. It is up on Twitter now. I was a little slow to that one, but I said, This may be a project player for the Toronto Maple Leafs that gets a deal, goes to the Marlies, works his way up, and could end up being a later season addition to the top six, playing with a John Tavares and a Willie Nylander once they rebuild that confidence. And I know it's just scrimmages and they're out there, but if you're getting that fluidity back and you're playing with top line guys and you're gelling and meshing, that is a huge thing for the Maple Leafs. Think about this. You got Alex Biega and you got um, Dahlstrom and now you got Josh Hosang. What do you go and get at the deadline? You go get fringe depth players. So if you can add a top six depth player to your top six and then a bottom guy like Biega and stuff like that, that you already have in, you're not wasting assets to get these guys. So I'm excited for Josh Hosang. You talk about not reading into anything. I'm excited to see him on the ice now because he's taking yeah. it seriously. He's already there, and he's already putting himself in a position to be with guys like Tavares. And no flow Willie, by the way, cut the hair. So he's got it back to uh, kind of what you're rocking right now. Yeah, there, not right. the only one. Kind of cutting her down. but
2: get, get, your know, hair, get, get your haircut or sleep on the couch so you can see which <laughs> one I picked.
1: Yeah, well, the bed's a lot more comfortable, buddy, unless yeah. you got a nice couch. i got a nice one in the basement, but it's getting a little chilly. But I look at these things, man, and I, I look at just getting the lease back on the ice. And there's so many little storylines that we want to talk about. I want to see guys who want it. And there's so many guys in Toronto right now that are already taking part in informal skates, getting to know each other, getting the gel going. I really think the Maple Leafs have a high, high priority on bringing Josh Hosang along. And I think that's why right out of the gate on free agency, he was on the PTO and it was way before camp because they wanted to get him in, get him acclimated. Also, if there's any kinks in the body, the Maple Leafs have one of the best medical staffs for the offseason, at least. You talk about Jason Spezza, Tyler Ennis, guys that come here early to get worked on, and you know what happened with other teams. They got upset about that, that you know the Maple Leafs were flexing their muscle and allowing guys to get in early, which I think is complete and utter bullshit. But for another time, because this is going to be an upbeat chit-chat, so, yeah, man, what, what do you think about this? What do you think about Josh Hosang in town? What do you think about all these guys? Everybody's together. Everybody's already working on getting towards the goal. And, hey, let's steal a line from Peter Mrazek in his helmet. It seems like this is the new cradle of creativity.
2: Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's great to see everybody back on the ice. I, I still think it's too early to – jump to any conclusions, but seeing Josh Hosang play with you know the top guys on the team is something that is positive, and maybe we'll be seeing that further down the line. He's going to have to do a lot in camp in these exhibition games, or sorry, preseason games to uh, prove that he does belong on the, you know in the top six, top nine, top 12, and not necessarily start in the Marlies, but I think that's where we all know he's heading. We'll see what happens here. He is on a PTO, I don't know, it, it, taking anything away from these like pre, pre, pre-training pre, camp skates is sometimes hard to do because right now your top line looks like it would be like, what, Tavares, Hosang, and um, Nylander. Nylander. So like I don't think that's your top line. But well, no, but, we'll, but we'll I, look at it like,
1: I look at it like this and I say, one, I want to see first thing I wanted, to – and I said in the video, the attitude needs to be there. And the, I'll say it here, the give a shit meter really needs to be there. And that seems to be in check right now. If you're in town early and you're on the ice and you're trying to make sure that you're around all the guys and fitting in the best you can and trying to soak up as much as you can from coaches and veterans and, you know, you're showing that you want to be there and want to work on being that player that everybody thinks you can be, that untapped potential, that to me is huge. I will take that every single day of the week, a guy showing up saying he cares and wanting to be there and starting to get things and putting things in that matters, you know, especially with a guy with a little bit of a checkered past for things that have happened to him, you know, either self-inflicted or a little bit of politics behind the scenes in the NHL. And that's something we'll get into probably another time. Yeah, I'll uh, we'll have a couple of guests on for that, but look, I look at this and I just get excited because obviously Leafs are on the ice, but then Austin Matthews has to smack us in the face with his wrist brace on sure. and say, I'm hopefully going to be ready for opening night, which, um, excuse me, Austin, you better damn well be because we're kind of counting on you, buddy. And another thing I wanted to touch on about the Maple Leafs right quick before uh, we pivot to our guest here, Mr. Dennis Bernstein, Kyle Dubas. He had a very, um, shall we say, revealing podcast with Bob McCowan um you know saying that he admits that he's on the hot seat this season and he understands you know they haven't gotten it done in the playoffs they need to get it done in the playoffs uh we joked about this season you know being the real all or nothing documentary well yeah this could be but um you know what I like one of his quotes I'm going to read it directly um you know talking about the core group which he has belief in if I didn't believe in it knowing the consequences to the team this season, we wouldn't have returned it. So obviously he understands that, hey, if we don't get it done this season, I'm gone. So knowing the consequences, he wouldn't have returned it. So obviously the belief is there. The belief is not just there from him. That has to be throughout the entire organization because we know that Brendan Shanahan can definitely do the strong arm and get what he wants done with this organization. So I do believe that comes from Shanahan, Dubas, all the way through, whoever you want to talk about, Gilman, Pritham, they're all on board. And that goes through the players. And then the last thing that I saw about the Maple Leafs before I let you jump in because I keep putting up bullet points was Tyler Toffoli seems to think that Jake Muzzin is the absolute linchpin to the Maple Leafs' defense. He said as soon as Muzzin went down in the playoffs, they knew they were going to win. So that to me sends a message that, hey, the Leafs need to learn to move it along without Jake Muzzin when he does get injured. Because I don't know if you noticed, but both playoffs so far with Muzzy,
2: he's been hurt. Why are other players jumping in on, on the Leafs? I hate when teams do that. Like stay in your lane. It's, it's
1: because the Maple Leafs, but
2: like... They are are
1: the Mecca, man. No, but you can't tell me that for any other team, every other fan base, and I don't care who chirps me on this one because it'll come, but every other fan base always chirps the Leafs. You don't even have to say anything to them. They just do. I could say something positive today about the LA Kings, and I'm still going to probably get three or four messages, 3-1. I made a nice video... About the Montreal Canadiens. And a nice video about the Ottawa Senators. What did I get? It was 3-1, bud. I wasn't even talking to you. I was just doing my thing. But, yeah, you want to come over here? It's the Maple Leafs, man. We come to expect it. It's a Toronto team. It's a Toronto thing.
2: Yeah, those people need to uh, go outside a little bit. But, um, yeah, I I don't know. I'm still trying to get excited for this team. And I'm getting there. I just think once I start seeing these players, you know, in actual training camp, in actual lines, um, start seeing some preseason games, start seeing, you know, a couple games into the season, then I'll get there. But right now I'm like, eh, you still got to buy me back a little bit. And you know what I think is going to help? I didn't think it would help, but I think the documentary is going to help me get back into it because it's going to show me the personality of the players. And I'll be like, oh, you know, I really want this player to do well. It, it will like we all know how it's going to end, so like we're already expecting it,
1: right? I, I don't even care about the ending. Here's what's going to hurt: getting to know guys like Zach Bogosian and Nick Felino, future guest on Offside, and uh, Mr. Zach Hyman. Yeah, there's a there's a little bit of a wrinkle there for for Nick, and hopefully we can nail that one down. Sounds a little good. bit of a little bit of a tease there, folks. Shout out to the. Uh, The boys over at the Blue Line Hockey Club, they've had him on their show and uh, they're friends of this show, so they want to link that up. Uh, Sad to say that that show is now done, but shout out to all the boys. Obviously, always supporting us, so you'll see them pop up from time to time. But let's get our guest du jour on. Mr. Dennis Bernstein covers the LA Kings. We're going to talk LA Kings hockey, and we're also going to break down some things about the Toronto Maple Leafs from an outsider's perspective. All right. All right, so here we go, as promised. During the episode, we talked about Dennis Burstein joining us. Here he is, the man of many talents. Been on a bunch of times before. Absolutely awesome to have you back. Uh, What's going on? How's the summer been? You ready for some LA Kings hockey? Summer's been great, boys. I'm definitely ready for a hockey season
0: for sure. I think it's about uh, 31 days until opening night here in Los Angeles. They open on the 14th against Vegas, but I am ready and geared for a full season, 82 games
1: plus the playoffs of hockey after two tough seasons. Well, let me ask you that question. That's something that's been floating around with a lot of media people. We had that 56 game, I call it a snack bite kind of season. And a lot sure. of people kind of like that, you know, it was done. You got to the playoffs and the minutia of all that stuff. 82 games. Some people say this season, it'll be exciting for the first little bit, but might start dragging because now it's 82 games again. How sure. are you in that one? Do you want the full meal deal or did you like the snack size NHL package? Well, this is not a charity,
0: the NHL, so they have to make money. So they need 82 (laughs) games. They need 41 home dates. So there's no option here. Uh, No, I love the – look, the regular season is a path towards the Stanley Cup playoffs, which are without question the best playoffs um, in in sports. So uh, it's necessary for the sport. It's necessary to carry 32 teams. So whether you like it or not or think that every game of 56 was important, I mean, I could argue the point that, you know, that ninth game between the Sharks and the Ducks – that wasn't really that exciting to be honest with you. So I'll take the 82 games. I'll take the balance schedule. Yep. I'll take everybody and everybody else's building. Um, I want normalcy. I don't know if we'll get normalcy with respect to how many people up in the stands, but I want normalcy with respect to the schedule, even with an Olympic break and the like. So I'm happy for 82 games.
1: Well, that's another thing too. This season's got a couple wrinkles in it, obviously with the Olympic break coming in there and they want to do an all-star game. You talk about paying the bills so they got to pay the bills there with the all-star game, get all the sponsors in and show both sure. the players around. Do you feel that's going to be a lot, especially asking the star players to go A to the all-star game? And then of course the players want to go to the Olympics, but I think that might give a little burnout or fatigue on the other side of things going down the stretch run for teams. Well, I think it'll be a lot for teams like Tampa Bay, and Montreal that ran the full gamut and went to the Stanley cup final.
0: So I think that's part of the challenge and the issue. Uh, for the lesser teams, maybe not. Uh, but hockey players want to play, guys. You know, when yeah. when teams get eliminated, they go to the world championships, right? There's some of the players who don't get get to the Stanley Cup, they're they're programmed and geared to play. Should we watch out for injuries halfway through the season? Absolutely, because we are going to be in a situation where some of these players um, haven't played that much or some have played a lot, um, and you have to watch out for that. So uh, I wouldn't be shocked if there'll be a, a rash of injuries as we get to the maybe 30, 40-game mark. Uh, But I think it's necessary, again, yeah, the NHL wants to get back to normalcy and you do that through the outdoor games, through the Winter Classic, through the All-Star Game, which I happen to enjoy the weekend. I get the game isn't really the best and maybe it's outdated because the All-Star Game was something back in the 70s when I was a young man. Uh, But I think it's all
1: necessary to get back to some sort of level of normalcy uh, with respect to this sport. Well, there's a couple of points I want to get to before we roll through the LA Kings and talk about the roster. (sighs) I picked the LA Kings and the Philadelphia Flyers to be two teams on the rise and ready to know, assume their spot in the playoffs. i wondering for you, look at the LA Kings and what they've been able to add this off season. The players that we've talked about a bunch of times, like Turcott and the likes yeah. coming up in Byfield, you know, adding to this roster. And then of course, what the Philadelphia Flyers did to shore up in front of their net and to move the, uh, they give a crap meter a little bit over there. <laughs> Do you see those two teams taking that step?
0: Well, with, let's talk about Philly for a second. Right, yep. Yeah, they got the defense better, but you talk about in front of the net, but how about actually in the net? Like, that's the question. Yeah. What's Carter Hart going to be this season? If he's, and you're right. He should, with the team better in front of him, he should be better. Um, and I can't imagine that the team's going to go through another performance with a coach like A.V. back-to-back seasons. So I got to think they're going to be better defensively. But if Carter Hart's going to be an 880, 90 save percentage guy, then it's not going to make a difference. But with Line and with Ellis, who I really, really like, they should be better without question. Look, there's some big names on that on that roster um, that they, they, they should produce. They should have been the playoffs last year. They were just so atrocious. Like, they didn't have a chance. And I know the goalie wasn't great, but the guys in front of them weren't great. So it was a facelift. But, again, I think with AV coaching, with better talent on this roster, but I think it comes down to the net. Like If you believe that Carter Hart can get back to that 920, 925 percentage guy, then they should have a damn good team and they're going to be the thick of things. If not, then they're going to have a repeat performance of last season. With respect to Los Angeles, well, look, I asked Rob Blake, the end of last season, the final media availability, if this roster was good enough. And he said it frankly wasn't to make the postseason. So what did he do? He paid Philip Dano $33 million for six years. He brought in Victor Arbidsson for two draft picks. And he signed Alex Eddard later on in the free agency window. And they needed more established players. And, and you know, my take, and I've been critical of it. Look, the franchise has been more, nobody's been more patient than the Kings winning on these players. And you'll see it when it comes to, when you look probably look at rosters opening night, I don't think Byfield field of going to be on the team. And so you're asking the fans to be very, very patient. This is the fifth year of Rob's reign as general manager. The first year he had Dean's team made the playoffs, got swept by Vegas, hasn't made it for the last three. It's time. And, and to me, I know that people fawn over the prospects and they talk about how great the talent pool is. You know, if I'm a fan, I want my team to be at the bottom of the, the, the prospect list, not the top. Cause that means that you stink and you've been ha- drafting high and you have all these prospects at some point in time, these prospects have to pay off. And I think that Rob's, Patience wore a little bit thin when he saw that Dave Velarde didn't really deliver as promised last season. He had to go out and get Phil Dono to play 2C yeah. to help out Kopitar with big minutes. Now, eventually, I assumed Dano would be a 3C. I know they, they represented him as a 2C, and that's what they yeah. told him, so he signed here. But I think at some point in time, and probably by the time you look at it midseason, because Turcotte got a sideline with appendicitis at the development camp. So he should be ready for the season, but he probably starts in Ontario they're, they're clearly not going to rush Quinton Byfield. So he played six games last year. I saw him live. He fits in. He looks like an NHL player. He's big. He's fast. Can he adjust to the NHL game in life? That's the that's the the you know the $6 million question. I'm not really sure. So they're, they're going to take their time with these two players. They're going to probably start in Ontario. But they should be able to be on this roster because when you look at the roster, guys, and you look at the over and under the Vegas is set, they're talking about 85 points, which – Even in a bad division, it's not going to make the postseason. So that's the question. like, At what point in time do you make the postseason? I think time is is of the essence here. And I think that they'll be close because I think if you look at the divisions, guys, Pacific is the worst division in hockey without question. And they have an opportunity to make the three seed. So should they progress? Yes, they should not be 14 points out of a playoff spot by the time the season ends, where they were after 56 games last year. So to me... I think success for this team certainly would be a postseason berth, but I think they have to be playing important games at game 60 and 65. Look, if they miss by five or six points, that's fine. I'd like them to be in the position where we can talk about them adding at the deadline, not training away players at the yeah. deadline. I think that's the progression you need to see. I think you'll get it because uh, of the additions of these veteran uh, players that we talked about, the three veterans, and hopefully some help from the prospects. But again, If Dustin Brown is your leading goal scorer this season, then it's going to be a tough season. And I love Dustin. I know him personally, and he had a great season last year. Uh, But you have to have some of these players progress and take over from the veterans because, you know, they've sold a lot of tickets off the backs of Brown and Kopitar and Dowdy and Quick, but it's time for the next generation of Kings to take place. So I think they'll be in a mix for a playoff spot. So I don't disagree with your your um, prediction that the Kings should progress But at some point in time, you know, in a market like Los Angeles, where you have the Dodgers winning championships, I'm going to take it all for the Rams. They started great last night. You have the Lakers winning perennial championships. They don't want to hear about three years from now. They want to hear about now. So I think it's incumbent about this team to win. Plus, you know, I think Rob is in the last year of his contract as general manager. So at some point in time, you need that payoff. So while the future looks bright, it's time you started
1: talking about the present in Los Angeles. And I think that's the question mark as the season starts. I look at the LA Kings and you talked about Quinton Byfield and everybody's mock lineup so far. I'm just looking at the athletic athletic one right now. They have Quinton Byfield penciled in as the third line center playing with Dustin Brown and Trevor Moore, wondering what your feeling of that would be if the LA Kings did run that you kind of get to shelter him on that third line. I know traditionally a third line is a checking line, but that would give him an opportunity to play with a guy who led the team last year in Dustin Brown and kind of a workhorse in Trevor Moore know him a little bit from the Maple Leaf days. Uh, what do you think of a line like that for Quinton Byfield? Or is it first or second line bust? That's all it can be.
0: Well, I, if you're going to put Quentin in at the three seed, I'm assuming that you're going to put Gabe Velarde on the right wing, which I, I think going back to his draft year, I'm, I think it was the only guy that said, no, nah, he's really like – Tyler Toffoli, he's not a center. He's a right wing. The guy that I know, one of my scouts that I know really well said that he, he's really a right wing. So if you're going to put Gabe on the right side as a, let's say, right wing second line, then yeah, Quentin could start. But again, they're not going to rush this guy. And I think what they would prefer to do is have a uh, you know have a kid like Kapari or maybe Anderson Dolan uh, grab that 3C spot So or put Gabe in his 3C. You talk about not having pressure. I think if you don't want to have pressure on Gabe Velarde, you put him at the 3C. But maybe some quicker players. So and and see if you're really married to the to the fact that you think Gabe Velarde is an NHL center, then he would be the three C to start opening night. I don't see that at game thirty or forty. Could Quentin be the three C? Yeah, he could be. And again, they don't want to rush him. They don't have to. And yeah. at some point in time, if if Quinton plays better than Phil is more uh, more productive offensively. Yes. So what if you have a six million dollar third line center or a five point eight million dollar third line center? Because Quinton's on his entry level contract, so it's a combination of all the money, not just one particular player. Because I think what they want to have happen obviously is before Kopitar's contract runs out, he's got three seasons left. You'd want Q in that second line center and have Phil play a third line center, and I yep. think you'd have a really strong center down the a really strong center contingent that would not rival maybe Colorado or, or or Edmonton, but
1: certainly would be one of the better ones in the West. For sure. Another player I want to ask you about, obviously, uh, is Elias Anderson. Yep. Very high on the New York Rangers staff. Obviously, that didn't work out. Came over to the LA Kings. Do you see him being a roster player for the LA Kings? Or is there still a lot of development that needs to happen with this guy? Because, again, that's another player I'm seeing when doing this uh, setup for this interview tonight is people have him penciled in as a roster yeah. player for the LA Kings.
0: Well, they they've invested a lot. in this, right. They gave up a second line, round pick for Leas and they like his grit. They like his smarts. They like his determination. He's quick. So yeah, I I would think that lease is probably depending on the matchup, he's either going to be a scratch one night or, you know, maybe he's in that fourth line combination. Maybe, you know, you would spell, let's say he would spell a guy like Brendan Lemieux, you know, they don't have a lot of tightness. They let, um, uh, McDermott go to uh, the expansion draft to Seattle he want uh, to go into Colorado, but I think that would be a player where I think he could sp- uh, spell Blake Lazat. but yeah, I do see him on the roster um, at this point in time and he is not uh, waiver uh, exempt. So I think that's also a key as well. If they expose him to waivers, I assume a, a team would pick him up. So they do like him. They like his greediness. They like his toughness around the net. And he gets some scoring touch. And they haven't, like I said, they have an investment in that player. So I would expect him on the opening night roster um, and some nights probably playing in favor of a guy like Lazat
2: or Wagner. What can we expect out of Jonathan Quick this year? Because they don't like Cal Peterson. He's a decent goaltender. Jonathan Quick's getting up there in age. If Quick isn't the guy that the Kings need him to be? Does he have a safety blanket behind him? What are your thoughts on that? Well, they have
0: some goaltending depth, right? But I, I think that Jonathan Quick is – if Jonathan Quick's playing more than 30 games this year, I think the team's in trouble, to be honest with you. If you look at all the advanced statistics on John, um, look, love the player. He's a, he's a warrior. His number will go to the rafters when he retires at Staples Center. He's won a Con Smythe. But when you look at the numbers, 898 save percentage, 286 goals against – and you look at, if you go behind those on the analytics, he, he did not have a good year. He's mm-hmm. one of the lower ranked starting goaltenders in the league. So I, I think, the, and they want Cal to emerge. You know, Cal is what, 20, he's 26, 26 years old. Yeah. He's 26 years old and he's up for a contract. He's unrestricted at the end of the season. They want, they're going to give Cal the shot to be the number one, he should be the number one. Um, yeah, they could look at some of the guys in the in the system like Matt Falata and Parikh, but I think that this is the tandem you're going to see in the season. And if, if I was them, I would probably want Cal playing probably 50 to 55 games and having John play 25 or so. I think that's the right combination for at this point in time. Because if John Quick's going to be the starter, um, then Cal's not going to be here at the end of the season. He's going to be move on. There are discussions about extending him. Um, I think he's got the goods. You know, I like what he did, Um, not last season, because last season was just, you know, the end of last season, it was really ugly for the Kings, the way they They were in the race, you know, 30 games in, and they really backed up the last 20, 26 games or so, but they want Cal Peterson to be the guy. That's the expectation. I think he's going to get the lion's share of the uh, work in L.A. this season, and he'll be playing for a contract. There will also some extra motivation from Josh.
2: Yeah, for sure. I just I I whenever I look at the Kings goaltending, I always worry a little bit. Like I want the Kings to do well. I lived in California for a little bit, so it's always nice seeing those uh th- those teams do well out there. Um, yeah. it's an it's an Olympic year, so I take a look at a player like Drew Doughty, who he loves being at the Olympics. We know he does, he likes to be there. He does well when he's there. Will that kind of give Drew Doughty a you know a little bit of a kick in the ass this year? To you know, you got to prove yourself to to make yourself on this team Canada. Cause a lot of people say, Oh, you know, he's a solidified defenseman on that team, but you know, times have changed since they've last been to the Olympics. So what can we expect out of Drew Doughty this year?
0: I think Drew's going to be super motivated because of what you mentioned, all the media crit- uh, uh, criticism about him. Like some people had the, 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 uh, the Canadian Olympic team and don't have Drew on the team. like yeah. and, and I, I personally,
2: better. I personally don't. I think <laughs> if okay. he's on there, if he's on there, he's on the taxi squad.
0: Okay, well, you know, and maybe it's a reputation thing, but we'll see. We'll see how it yeah. comes out of the box. And, you know, at some point, you know, Drew and Kopitar last season were pretty vocal with respect to them needing to improve the team and not through prospects. Yeah. I, I think the veterans on this team, to be totally frank, are, are tired of hearing about, yeah, the future's brought, and they, want, they wanted established players like Deneau and Arvidsson and Edler to come on board. Certainly they want to see these kids succeed, But it's, you know, you're tired of hearing the talk about that. So I think with respect Mm -hmm. to Drew, it's going to be a motivating factor. They still don't really have a true number one to play with Drew, right? I might be Mikey Anderson one night. Mikey Anderson, loved the player. He was on my, I think he was on my fifth place ballot for rookie of the year. Uh, But he's not a number one defenseman. Alex Edler, 10 years ago, was a number one defenseman. Some nights he probably will be a number one. So that's part of it. But I think Drew's going to be super motivated here. But, you know, it's this team really has to put up a shot because, you know, the, you know, the, all the questions about revolving around drew where he says he's tired of losing, not making the playoffs as old. Like if they come out of the box slow again, this season, then how's Drew going to react? So I think that what insulates the team on that is that Drew's also playing for an Olympic berth, I believe. And I yeah. think he'll get there, Josh. I, I think that he'll make the team. It depends how he plays in season. Um, Cause you look at that and it's a monster lot of obviously the Canadian Olympic team on the blue line. But I think Drew's, Drew's going to be motivated. I think the veterans do like the additions that they made with respect to the established players. And I think they see an opportunity to make the postseason. So I think it's a, a really pivotal season for Drew because if 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 they're not close to a playoff this season, like, then what's Drew going to do? Like, you, you always hear about him talking about how he wants to get back to the playoffs and he's tired of losing. Like, does he tap out? Does he say, okay, I love living on the beach and I'll waive my no-movement cost to move to a contender? Or I, I think that it, it's a – it's a prove it season in a lot of ways for yeah. this organization. And I think for
2: drew as well. And just to loop it back to Jonathan quick, if he starts the season hot, do you think we could see him maybe in a, an Olympic on the Olympic team for the USA, or is that <laughs> kind of behind us? You'd have to be really hot to be honest yeah. with Josh. I, I think, well, I think clearly
0: kind of Hellbuck would be the guy. Uh, 100%. The star. Yeah. But look, John's reputation. He's a big game goaltender. If he comes out of the box hot and he's, 10-2 and at the All-Star, you know, or when they named the teams. Could that happen? Yeah. Um, I don't think John's worried about that. I, I don't think that, you know, knowing what I know about that player, sure, he would love to play for his country, but he'd be happy to stay home as well at this point because he's got nothing left to prove. And that's some mm-hmm. of some of these players, they really have not, Brown, Kopitar, Quick, Daddy. What do they have left to prove? They want to keep playing, obviously, and still want to be winners, and you don't like to go into a losing room every night but they have a little to prove. So with Quick, he would have to have an immense start to the season to think that um, he would be on the, all- on the Olympic team at this point in time. But,
1: you know, you never know. I want to ask you, obviously, we just touched on the D. I'm talking about, you know, another number one to play with Dowdy. That is one glaring thing that I see that needs to maybe be upgraded here. You look at Mikey Anderson, Alex Edler, Sean Walker, Bjorn yeah. Foote, and Matt Roy. Um, they're not exactly names that scream off the page. You talked about Mikey Anderson night in, night out, might not be that always that guy. Edler's getting up there long in the tooth. Uh, They brought him in, I think for name value at least, and he can still play serviceable minutes. To you, do you think the LA Kings upgrade this blue line before the season starts? Or is that going to be, hey, if we're hot and we're rolling, maybe we'll add somebody towards the deadline?
0: Yeah, I I mean, I don't think they're going to add it. I, I think that what you see is what you get with the to the roster for the, uh, this point in time. And you know, they keep talking about training for that, that top pair defenseman for, for drew. And I look around and I don't really see the player who's available. Like, right. Zach Ransky signed. I don't think Jacob Trickin is being traded out of Arizona. I don't think Darlene's or, or Powers being traded out of Buffalo. So who's that player? Like they keep talking about him, but I, I don't know who he is. And I don't think any of this talent that they have in the system is going to develop. I saw Brent Clark, in um, development camp. And I love Brent. He can skate like the wind, but he's a right handed defenseman. So there's really not that player. So I, I think I think the, the add to this team depends on where they are at the trade deadline. But I think what you see is what you get to with the defense. There's not a lot of size on this defense either. So I'm, I'm glad they added Edler, who does have some size. But these are still, you know, look, Bionfort's still a kid. He's 20 years old. Mikey's 22. But they're, you know, 5'11, six foot tall, 195, 200. You know, look at Tampa Bay. They got big, and aside from Headman, they got big freaking defense. And look at Dallas. Look at the size they have on the blue line. So I think that that's one of the issues with this team is that they don't have a lot of size on the blue line. They have some requisite skill. uh, Toby Burefoot's a former first round draft pick. He's not that, he's not Cal McCarr or Quinn Hughes. Uh, but I, I think that this will be this team will be challenged to produce offensively unless Drew has a big year on the blue line. And I think some nights against a bigger team like a Dallas or maybe a St. Louis or Colorado, they'll be challenged defensively because they don't have a lot of size on the blue line.
1: So the other thing, well, you just quelled it right there. You pretty much nipped the next question in the butt. Um, I'm seeing a lot of chatter about Jack Eichel coming to the LA Kings, <laughs> either the Kings or the Vegas Golden Knights. And you just said, you know, you think this team is pretty much set. Um, from what I am reading here, if it's to be believed, um, is the three or four players of whom we're expected to make a push to make the Kings opening night roster. Uh, one of them was from this past season, not quit Byfield. Do you see the LA Kings moving the draft capital and then players on top of that, probably a roster player, to get Jack Eichel when you just talked about the patience they put into these players and the time they spent developing them? Uh, the one, yeah. The one factor to me
0: that tells me they're not going to trade for Jack Eichel is they gave Phil Deneau a no move moving clause. Right. Um, so who, who are you going to move out? Um, so you're going to have to at six at 5.5 million Kopitar at 10 and Jack at 10 in the middle, the math doesn't work. And that's the one thing, guys, see going into this off season, I, I said it was like a double barrel shotgun approach. Rob Blake had cap space and he had draft capital and prospects. Okay? Yep. Guess what? He shot one of the – one of the Chambers is gone. Like, they're a cap team. They're within $3 million of the salary cap. I don't see how you could make that trade. But to know – guys, is Phil Dineau going to waive to go to Buffalo? No. Nope. Probably not. Prob- that's a pretty good bet that I say he would not. So where's where you, where do you make room for Jack Eichel? Like, that, that, I don't see it. And they love Quentin Byfield, and suppose he's an untouchable. Plus, you know, the thing with Jack is – like, what's going on? with us? I know that Pat Brisson, and I know Pratt he's one of the best, if not the best agent in the world, and you know, he could probably move the needle. But Jack's still not healthy. So, look, could the Kings trade for Jack Eichel because they could probably wait two months for him to be ready because they're not a true contender? Yes, they could. Could Vegas? No, because Vegas is a contender, so I don't see them winning. So, until we get some clarity around Jack's health with respect to if he's going to do surgery or not, If I'm, if I'm the Kings, I wouldn't look, I advocated for Triton for Jack Eichel. Like this team needs star players. They need to sell tickets. Like if if they don't start well, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about what kind of attendance they'll draw on this in stable center Mm -hmm. this season, because people just don't want to hear about prospects anymore. So I think that's it. So I would have done it, but the fact they gave Phil to know that money and he's got a no moving clause, I, I just don't see the calculus to get uh, Jack Eichel to Los Angeles, even though I think he'd be a big hit. You'd have a one-two punch with him and Kopachar, guys. But I I think until Jack's proven that he's healthy and on the ice, I think we're in a holding pattern with respect to Buffalo and Jack Eichel.
1: Listen, and Josh, you'll know what I'm about to say on this one. I'm the guy sitting in the room saying, here's my hot take. Jack Eichel probably doesn't move for a year, year and a half. Until his next situation's figured out, I think teams are not going to want to trade for him, especially what you have to give up to get him. I think he's going to end up getting the surgery, end up playing some time in Buffalo to regain whatever magic he had to show yeah. that he's still Jack Eichel, and then teams will re-step up to the plate. Because like you just said right now, a contending team doesn't want to add Jack Eichel if he's not going to play. And then a team yeah. like L.A., yeah. they can sit on that. They can wait for it. But again, yeah. you're giving up all that stuff and not knowing what the next is going to be. I think teams are going to wait, and I think it's going to be a long drawn out process. And that's been my thought for a little while, but I got excited when I knew I was having you on, I had to ask you about the LA yeah. Kings and Jack, because that's just something that seemed to went hand in hand, but I don't think he's moving anytime soon. Um, everybody seems to think he'll be moved before the beginning of the season. I think a lot of people are going to cool their heels and wait. Well, this the, it, it is double-edged sword here though, right? Because like you're trying to build,
0: you know, chemistry and you're trying to build, uh, you know, you're trying to rebuild this franchise, right? You're trying to build a culture in Buffalo. Do you really want Jack Eichel, who clearly doesn't want to be there, walking into the room whenever he's healthy and playing a Buffalo with these young kids? Like, I don't. Maybe that's the reason Owen Power went back to the school at Michigan. Yeah, I know he wants to win a championship, and that team's loaded. I, I think. See, what's happened with Jack is that the clock kept moving. Like on on when, when this the deadline needed to happen. It was the draft. It was free agency. It was training camp. Here's the real deadline. Okay. When Jack, the day Jack's no movement clause clicks in, which is the end of this season going into next, that's it. Cause the, the last thing Buffalo wants is the Jack to have more control over this situation. Mm-hmm. So right now there he can he be is. dealt to any team, right? He could be, but once that no movement clause clicks in and there are, let's say six teams that might be interested in trading for Jack, Jack knowing Jack probably doesn't want to be traded to five of them. So it would lessen return. And what's the return. And I agree with you. How do you trade for an injured player? Asking for two first rounds and two prospects that are ready for the NHL, like four for one, five for one. How do you do that? So, yeah, I think he's stuck in Buffalo right now. But un- until you know, the thing that I don't get, the part of the equation I don't get is that Buffalo said that by rest and rehabilitation, he would be better. And he's not better. So, like, and it's been months. So, yeah. why wouldn't you say, okay, this part of the rehab hasn't worked? Let's go to the next step, which is surgery. So I get that. I get it ex- experimental. And it's never been done on a hockey player before, a lot of the stuff. But clearly, this path to rehabilitation hasn't worked. So it's just a mess. And I, you know, I most times I go on when I talk to Sabre's podcast or on the on on Buffalo Radio or whatever. I always say God bless Saber fans because they're up against it. It's just, it's just a mess up there. And hopefully I like Don Granado. They've got a lot of young talent up there. But they have to figure this out at some point in time. It's going to linger over this team like a cloud, and maybe, you know, maybe they're shooting for the first, or maybe they're shooting for, you know, Shane Wright and Connor Bedard in the next two drafts or whatever. But it's it's what a up? it's a it's a it's a it's a really tough situation there. But I think that fact that Papasan is now the agent, uh, I think that will get resolved sooner than the previous two agents. No disrespect to those two guys.
2: Another wrench in this whole Jack Eichel thing is uh, at the start of the 2022-2023 season, he's due a seven point five million dollars signing bonus, um, yeah. and then his base salary is two point five. So whichever team gets him, if they get him before, I guess July first, they're gonna have to sign a pretty fat check for a guy who probably hasn't played a game for him yet. So well, if he's if he's a thirty
0: five, if he's a thirty five forty five player, I'll sign that trick, Right? I mean that that's the whole oh, 100%, thing. 100 percent. Yeah. Like like I remember like I remember was it two seasons ago or three seasons ago when yep. Jack carried that team? He mm-hmm. was an MVP candidate. He was, he was amazing. And I talked to guys like Craig Button and I asked him, I said, Craig, you know, we had him on Sirius XM. I said, would you trade, uh, would you put Quentin Byfield in a trade for Jack Eichel? And he said, Absolutely. And I respect Craig, and he's being GM in this league. He goes, maybe Quentin Byfield's ceiling is Jack Eichel, and maybe it isn't. But Jack Eichel's a star. He's a superstar in this league. But you're right, guys. Is he a healthy superstar? It's just, it's just, this has lingered way too long. This should have been resolved by now, but it's not. So you have a situation and look, I I can't blame Kevin Adams for digging his heels in and say, look, this is the return for Jack Eichel. I would do it too. Because guess what? They screwed up the Ron O'Reilly trade. He wasn't there. And that's part of the issue is that, you know, Kevin has to undo some of the stuff that the prior GM got into right with Botterill and he made some big mistakes. He gave look he he, he, he gave the uh, he, he gave the winger 72 million dollars right he gave Jeff Singer 72 million dollars who pays a winger nine million dollars in this in this environment jack but jack made that player a 40 goal score he has that capability so that it's just look they can't screw this one up if they get a return like they got on the the uh O'Reilly trade at some point in time, the fan base is going to get fed up. I'm not sure when that is. That might be in 2049 or whatever, but they can't. <laughs> they can't screw up this trade. If you're going to trade the player, you cannot lose this trade. It's simple as that. And that the problem is that when you trade a player of this stature, you usually wind up losing the trade. 100. percent
1: Well, I want to move away from Jack Eichel now, and I move a little bit into uh, some Maple Leaf talk with you on a guy that we've talked about previously, and that is Mr. Jack Campbell. We talked about him when he came to the Leafs. I had you on. You told me all about Jack, and obviously a great guy. Didn't think that he maybe had the starter pedigree. He got those reins last year from the Maple Leafs. Did pretty good, and now he's jumping in the Maple Leafs net with Petr Murazic and himself. Mm-hmm. I want to know about you. For Jack Campbell, do you see him being able to carry the bulk of the load for the Maple Leafs if it comes down to that? Um, I think it's open. it's an open competition, to be honest with you guys. Um, and look, you know, you
0: think Jack's a youngster? He's the same age as Mrazic. They're both 29 years old. So I don't know. The team in front of him needs to be better. I don't think that's the issue, right? I don't think that they up 3 1, Jack Campbell blew the series for him. I look at the rest of the roster guys and say, it's the same thing like and and now dupas has said well if we don't do well in the playoffs we're gonna make changes this season okay okay another patient guy maybe the patience pays off so I, yeah. look he could be the guy like is he a championship goalie no is peter morazic a championship goalie no he had a pretty good damn team with him and in carolina couldn't stay healthy so i think it's still a question mark so i i, I gotta think that if you're looking at the, the way they'll divide the games, I think it would be 41-41. And who's ever playing better down the stretch gets the net for the postseason. But I, I would expect that both players, look, I, I think they're a 100-point team. I think mean, they're clearly top three in, team in the division. Uh, I think you might see a rotation in the postseason too. So I, I don't think there's a clear-cut guy here. Could it be Jack? And you know the players love him and his teammates love yep. him. And we hear that every other game, however everybody loves Jack. But, you know, it's great. But you got to win games. They love you more if you win the games, right? So I think yeah. that's what you're looking at. But I, I think that Jack has all the, the – he has the mentality. He has the personality, has the tools. He's got to put it all together. Could he win a championship? I don't know. Do you think that the Maple Leafs are a championship-caliber team? I look at that blue line, and I say no. So it, it depends. But could Jack rest the the, the job from Peter Mrazek? He
1: could. But I, I think it's a toss-up right now. Well, the other yeah. thing I want to ask you about, we just saw uh, you talked about the team in front of Jack and obviously they're running it back with pretty much almost the same roster. They changed some fringe guys, brought in a little bit more meat and Richie and stuff like that. Do you see this team finally getting over the round one hump? Because listen, they've got a documentary coming out called all or nothing. Yep. This season is all or nothing.
2: How I do think you think to do the whole nine? How do you think guys think that'll end? Like, they say all or nothing. What do you think will happen at the end? I'm not really sure. Well,
0: I think – oh, <laughs> let me say this, though. If you look at the three best teams in the league, Tampa, Vegas, and Colorado, I think they all got worse. Tampa definitely got worse. I mean, and they're playing 82 games now. You know, they, I'm not going to taint their championships, but they played 70 and 56 games. Now, with the lack of depth, and they obviously have other players going to fill it, that third line, that that was amazing. They're playing 50, 82 games, the team's older. That probably isn't as quality. Vegas traded away the Vezina winner, and I'm not a fan of Robin Leonard. I don't think he's a winner, right? And Colorado, I I watched the way they played against Vegas. They got punched in the nose, never got up. They have a new goalie now there. They they traded one of the Vezina finalists away. So I think it's an opportunity for the Leafs because I I think it's a total toss-up. I mean, you might talk about Carolina. I have to love the Panthers. I think they're my sleeper. And they added Reinhardt, a a healthy Aaron Eckblatt. This question marks a net, obviously, with Bob and uh, maybe spencer Knight, but yeah look they're going to be a top three team they're going to be 100 point team but do they have the mentality to win in the playoffs like i'm sorry it was a great story for the habs there's no way they should have lost to that no way like no way they weren't the better team it wasn't it wasn't close and so that's the question do they have the mentality to play stanley cup playoff winning hockey they don't they haven't proved themselves and mm-hmm. i i love austin Matthews. i love mitchell monitor they're excited to watch play the Are are they winning teams in winning time? Are they winning players in winning time? I don't know. Like, they can't. I mean, if they went out in the second round, you could argue that it's progression because this team never wins a playoff round, but it's not progression because you look at these names, you look at the money. I I just think it's their approach. I like the coach, but you know, when push comes to shove in the the spotlight, do they deliver the good? They haven't done it. So to think now they're going to go from what happened last season to win four rounds. I think it's a stretch, but I do think there's an opportunity because I don't see it as much as people might like Colorado. I picked him for the cup last year. I don't think there's a clear cut favorite this year. I think there's so much balance in this league right now. And like I said, I think the best teams got a little bit worse. So there's opportunity for the Leafs, but again, I'm not sure that changing the bottom six is going to change anything or putting Nick Ritchie on the second line left wing is going to change everything because I watched him play for Boston and they went out in the second round against the Islanders. I think that, look, if they played the first or second round against the Islanders, I would certainly pick the Islanders, right? That that would be the team I play. But again, there's so much talent on this team. Can they put it all together? They swapped out some older guys from some younger guys, whatever. Now you got Michael Bunting who scored like not 20 goals against the Kings last year, which is great. But I, I just I, I think that it doesn't matter what they do in the regular season. It really doesn't. They could win the division, they could, they could finish third, whatever. Like, you know what the game, you know, when the season starts for the Leafs game 83, yep. the first 82 won't mean anything. Just got to make the dance and then everything else. after Yeah. That, that's when the season starts for them.
2: Dennis, I got one, one last Leafs question for you. I give you $50 and I say, okay, here's a prop bet you got to pick one. Austin Matthews over under goals. And the, the line is 49 and a half. Are you taking the over or are you taking the under?
0: I, I got to take the under because I don't know what his wrist is like now. And I right. say he's going to okay. be fine for the regular season. I, I, if he was, if I knew he was healthy coming in, I'd say over. I, I think he's such a dangerous goal, sir. He's smart. He knows how to get in position. He's still fast. I love his shot. So, yeah, if, if I knew his wrist would be healthy from game one on, and he was 100%, which I'm not sure he would, because look, hey, look at Sid Crosby, same thing. And, and who knows how long it's been lingering. Mm-hmm. So I would have to bet the under – but if he was totally healthy, let's say he's totally healthy, he plays through the season, and next season you want to give me that under over-under, I think over because I just think – I, I think the world of Austin, I think he's yeah. a great player, and I think he's, if not the most dangerous goal scorer in the league, he's one of the top three. Okay,
2: I'm going to place that bet then, and if I lose, I'll send you the invoice.
0: Okay, you can do that. <laughs> I'll, I'll split it with you. I'll
1: send you 25 back, American too. <laughs> sounds there good. You, sounds there good. you go. Uh, I got one last one for you before we let you go tonight. Obviously, I want to ask this question. Uh, biggest story for you that no one's talking about in the NHL this season, Dennis, is what and why are we not paying attention to it? Um, I, I just think that how a teams going to adapt to playing 82 games again? Like it's
0: been three years, right? I mean, I think that's it. I think how do, how do teams, you know, play with – and we're still in the COVID. You know, we're still dealing with COVID. So when somebody tests positive, we're not going to have taxi squads. Like how's that going to handle? So I think that playing under the guise of COVID – um, and playing an 2 game schedule that we haven't had the older teams like how are they going to handle it are, are we going to see are we going to start seeing stuff like the nba where you rest you know, you know hockey players don't want to rest they hate it they take offense to it when you sit them out but do we finally start seeing stuff where you have superstars like an austin matthews let's say or a copa here in los angeles who's 34 years old might might you sit guys out occasionally have a rest. Like if you're playing back-to-back games, sit them out a second game and just rest, right? Because when players don't play, everybody runs and like, what injury do these players have? So I think it's how these teams handle a full schedule with full travel. Remember, teams, especially here in the West, they had the luxury of not really, the Kings didn't travel past, what, Colorado this year? Now they're going to go cross country. So uh, I think just back to the full schedule, the full travel um, with the Olympic break you know mixed in as well, how that's, how these teams going to handle um a full season once again
1: well i'm looking forward to the full season looking forward to getting you on maybe through the midway point but thank you as always for being so generous with your time and uh, i love your insight on the la kings and of course around the league as well thanks boys appreciate being on offside hockey talk anytime happy to talk to you thanks a lot all right well guys this has been offside hockey talk where hockey comes to talk